You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfesh, and I'm an ugly bag of mostly water. And I'm Ari, and it's a good thing I'm cute, or I could really be obnoxious. And today we will be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes, Home Soil and Coming of Age. So, we're about halfway through the first season of The Next Generation, and uh, these are the first episodes that you have seen that you did not see on your first watch through before we started the podcast, right? That's correct. So it was one of these two episodes we're going to discuss today that prompted me to jokingly text you and say, podcast idea. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't it your husband that that actually came up with the idea? You know, maybe it was. No, I think I came up with the idea and he told me to actually text it to you because originally I wasn't going to text you. I was just like joking. And he said, no, really, you should text Gayfesh and say we should do a podcast. And so I did. And here we are. (laughs) Well, uh, uh, thanks, Darren. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Thanks, Darren. (laughs) He's also one of our, our best, you know, fans. He's always excited when the new episodes come out. <laughs> well, it's always it's always nice to have somebody listening. Um, I, I listen to the podcast when I'm driving just because I'm like, I, I want to bump my, the stats up. <laughs> <laughs> we listen to it when we're driving so he can hear it. And then that gives me an idea of, you know, what it sounded like, things that worked, things that didn't, because I'm constantly editing myself as we're learning to do this. I've never done a podcast before. So not only is it my first time with The Next Generation, it's my first time with a podcast. I've been a guest on a couple, but I've never done one where it was my responsibility to come up with content and things to talk about and things like that. And that's it's been an interesting experience from that side as well. I have been a guest on a couple podcasts uh, here and there over the years. But yeah, this is my first time running one. Actually, I think we were both on a NaNoWriMo podcast once. And I guess technically I was involved as like one of the people who ran that one, but I kind of just threw it into my co-host's lap because he knew everything sure. about podcasting. So technically, I guess that was my podcast. But yes, we did a we did a five-week NaNoWriMo one one year when I was the municipal liaison with Manda, who was on for Haven. Um, she was also the municipal liaison at that time. So that was not the first time Amanda and I have done a podcast together. Um, and then I also was on a couple episodes of serial nonsense which is no longer exists which was the same person who did our NaNoWriMo podcast ran that podcast and it was just a random podcast where guys got together in a room and talked about whatever it was a nice studio setup I uh because we recorded in the same space right yeah 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 it was nicely set up he had a lot of good stuff that's why when he said hey do you want to do a NaNoWriMo one I was like sure let's do it well and here we are here we are (laughs) now we get to get into episodes you haven't seen yet I know and I'm pretty excited yeah (laughs) me too these episodes were great i liked both of them they were funny but they also had some good stuff going on in them i don't know i liked both these ones a lot i have three and a half pages of notes on the first one (laughs) well then let's go ahead get into it So today we're, we're going to start with talking about Home Soil, which is the 17th episode of the first season of The Next Generation and originally aired on the 22nd of February, 1988. The teleplay was by Robert Sabaroff, story by Carl Gjors, Ralph Sanchez, and Robert Sabaroff, and it was directed by Corey Allen. When the Enterprise-D visits an outpost in the process of terraforming a dead planet, they find the science team threatened by a mysterious new form of life. So they sort of just give the whole plot away in that, don't they? 
Yeah, um, it's kind of that's a <laughs> kind of a spoiler. You don't find that out till about halfway through. Yeah, no, you don't. I did figure it out pretty early in this one, though. Like I figured out the story really early because they said something about how we need to take the sodium out of the water, and I was like, hmm, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> and then later on, it turned out that they were pissing it off by taking away their salt water. So before you realized that there was aliens and it was just kind of being set up as like a, a, a who done it, who do you think done it? Oh, I figured it was somebody on the planet the whole time because there's this very um, pointed statement about it being an uninhabited world. <laughs> And the way that they said that, yes, we're here to terraform this uninhabited world or something like that. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh, I bet it's not as uninhabited as you think it is. And then it turned out I was right. So you always knew it was an alien. (laughs) I always knew. (laughs) Going in, I I only half remembered this episode and I was thinking, I'm like, now, is there an alien on this planet or is it just a murder mystery where it's one of the the four or one of the three people who killed the other dude? If I had to guess, I would have thought the old guy because he was so cagey on the Skype call with Picard. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed him because he, he's the obvious choice. Um, so if, in my mind, it was between uh, the other dude, I don't even remember his name, and then Kim. And I was leaning toward Kim because she was the most sympathetic character. And I was just like, yeah, that would be, yeah. it would end up being her, wouldn't it? And, um, but no, turned out to be aliens. Turned out to be aliens. <laughs> Just like an episode of Doctor Who. So when they first come uh, into the space station where they're doing the terraforming and Bjorn, which means bear, that's my Swedish for you today. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the only word I remember. Um, he's all excited and asking way too many personal questions about data and his planet of origin and all this stuff. Deanna looks like she's about to, like, take him down. She looks so mad that he's asking all these intrusive questions about Data. I wasn't even looking at her. That's interesting. Yeah. She looks like she's like a mama bear that someone just used the wrong pronouns on their child. <laughs> you know, I was just like, oh, I know that look. <laughs> Keep in mind, like, she's down there because she's mega sus of everyone uh, aboard. Like, she, she's like, you know, after that first uh, call where the guy's like, look, stop bothering us. Leave us alone. She's like. Uh, no, something's going on here, and I'm going to find and out what it is. you definitely didn't need to be a Betazoid to know that something was going on. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but she, you know, she, I think she was probably just in uh, investigate mode, so maybe that was why her face was like that the whole time. She's like, I'm just reading your thoughts. Maybe it was, but it seemed like he was asking way too many, you know probing questions about data and actually before it was aliens i thought it was going to be a computer virus or something and i thought data was going to get infected especially when he went into that room because he's a a computer twist yeah so he it was like i thought it was going to be a computer thing because they went because of the computer controlling the laser but then it turned out to be tiny wisty aliens (laughs) (laughs) I did sound like Jet Darth Vader in there, though. At first, I was like, are there lightsabers in that room? What's happening? And then it turned out to be a laser cutter or something. <laughs> but yeah, I was, was like, like a, a laser I think drill. I hear lightsabers. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ms. Magrathea, um, or whatever you want to, the gardener of Edens, she was really excited about her job. Like, she loved her job. Uh-huh. I thought that was really interesting. There was a lot of parallels to Magrathea, right? It felt like there was a lot of parallels to Hitchhiker's Guide and creating an entire planet and taking pride in it, kind of like Slardy Bartfast. Uh, yeah, I could, I can uh, kind of see that. Um, I mean, terraforming is a pretty common thing in, in science fiction. Um, 
So I, I would say the the parallels there are pretty broad. Um, I didn't I didn't I didn't make the connection. In fact, the first time he said Magrathia, I actually forgot what that was until he said oh. I'm like, oh yes, okay, yes, yes, yes. No, I think she's just passionate about her job. She likes what she does. Yeah, she really does. And I thought that was kind of interesting because like you can see there's a true passion and like behind her like she did a good job of acting, but you know who didn't do a good job of acting? Bjorn. <laughs> did Bjorn want a walk on roll from Cheerios? Because that guy <laughs> I keep feeling like Cheerios is gonna or people are gonna think Cheerios is sponsoring our podcast because i bring it up so much but he he like went to the william shatner like school of acting because there's one point where he goes a year's work destroyed and i was like oh no well, I just did not like Bjorn. Apparently, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say a William Shatner school of acting because when William Shatner does those poignant pauses, they work for him. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I thought it was a little weird that uh, oh man, I can't think of the other guy's name either. But um, Beverly is trying to save him, and she's like, "I couldn't save him." The the wounds were too deep but in the in the actual shot he looked like he just had a scrape on his arm uh, i thought that was funny <laughs> i don't know maybe he was like he had like rolled over on like the deep piercing wound or something like that that must be it because yeah it just looked like he got a little scrape on his arm and i thought he was gonna be okay that was probably i mean well it's a laser so i'm sure it was burns that had gone gone deep so it might not have even been something that directly cut him it might have just burnt him all the way to the bone or something True, true, yeah. Especially because we know from Star Wars that, you know, lightsabers cauterize, so a laser might cauterize. <laughs> yeah, a laser probably would. I, well, I mean, the, don't they use laser uh, surgery specifically for that reason these days? Do they? I don't yeah, know. A robot, sure. a robot did my surgery, my hysterectomy, and took it all out. Nice. And when I had tumors, and I was a little weirded out that a robot was doing surgery against me. Against ah. me. <laughs> <laughs> against you. <laughs> I have a problem with robots. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure they still had a surgeon uh, operating the the robot. Right? Yes, there was a surgeon yeah. operating the robot. They, did, um, they didn't just like give, give a surgical degree to to um, to a uh, robot to Wally or anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> I'd trust Wally. He's pretty good. Eve, she's a little intense. <laughs> uh, I, I no, I would not trust Wally with surgery. He's a little clumsy. True, he is. Um, did they send Riker to go screw the information out of that lady? <laughs> I was like, I, I'm feeling some like, you know, rapport here, but it's not the right time, Riker. She's in mourning. Well, they, 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 but like Picard turns to him and goes, you might have a way of getting the information out of her. And then all of a sudden he's in the room, like talking sexy to her. And I was like, no, this is yeah. inappropriate, William Riker. <laughs> This is not the time. Yes. <laughs> you need to be thinking um, about getting the sand wet. Right. Because they need to go home to wet sand. <laughs> so this is about the time where the episode actually takes off, right? Yeah. Because, like, now we've had a bunch of science babble about terraforming. There was a lot of extraneous sci-fi babble at the beginning of this episode. Hey, welcome it to Star Trek. <laughs> and we finally get down to like what's happening and they they zoom in on the the creatures that i guess toward the end of the episode they were calling micro brains mm -hmm. but i was calling them wisties because of um the ewok movies and i'm not talking about return of the jedi i'm talking about caravan of courage the i think it was a made for tv ewok movie that had uh -huh. the little girl sindel and her brother mace also known as knockoff luke skywalker 
And they, in, in that thing, she gets this candle of like ever burning a flame or something. <laughs> and eventually there's these little creatures called twisties. And it's like, at the end, it's like a little flame that dances around and has like a little smiley face on it. It's like a little girl fairy huh. type thing. And they're called twisties. So when they started reproducing and flashing, I was like, oh, it's the twisties. I was so excited. <laughs> I watched maybe half of Caravan of Courage about 20 years ago while drunk, so I don't remember any of it other than that it was really creepy that the Ewoks were speaking English. It was real, just all of a sudden. And you know what I found out from looking up? Because I wanted to make sure they were called Wisties because mm-hmm. I couldn't remember uh, for sure. I was like calling him Wisps, and I was like, no, I don't think that's right. And it actually happened, that movie happens on 5 ABY after the Battle of Yavin. So that movie actually takes place before the Battle of Endor. And really? I didn't know that. I always assumed that movie took place after the Battle of Endor, but with the t- how how old Sindel is, there's no way that's possible. It happened in 5 ABY. So maybe that's where they got the dress from and they didn't eat a woman before giving it to Princess <laughs> it's Leia? It's very possible, yes. <laughs> but how, where, how did they lo- lose the language in that time, though? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We're on a very much an Ewok tangent, but how did they go from <laughs> speaking English? To all of a sudden, they had no language and they were yub-nubbing their way around with the main characters. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> anyway, Sindel and the Wisties. I grew up with Sindel and I grew up with Caravan and Courage and the other one that I, the name is escaping me right now. Was it the Battle for Endor? Oh, yeah, that's what it's called, right? Because, yeah, that, cause I, yeah it's the Battle for Endor and it's way worse. It, it's hard to believe <laughs> that it's worse than the first one, but it is way worse than the first one. And it has Wilford Brimley in it. But um, I didn't get to watch Star Wars growing up. I didn't actually see Star Wars until I was 17 years old. So your first experience with Star Wars was the Ewok movies. As a child on TV. (laughs) And so I thought that Star Wars was a kid's show about a girl named Sindel. (laughs) And I really did not understand what Star Wars is about until someone sat me down at 17 and was like, oh, you haven't seen Star Wars? And then I became a huge Star Wars fan after that because I already was. I was already a fan of the Ewok movies. So anyway, I was really excited to see the Wisties got another role. <laughs> I was like, yeah, let's keep that going. And this episode in particular um, feels very similar to an original series episode called Devil in the Dark about a mining planet in which miners are getting murdered by something. And it turns out it is a silicon-based life form called a Horta that is attacking the miners because they are killing its eggs. Oh, interesting. So it's a callback. Uh, it's uh, it's a very similar episode. The, the way that the uh, silicon alien looks in this episode versus in Devil in the Dark is very different. Because in this one, they're like little microscopic crystals. And in Devil in the Dark, it was a dude in a blanket. A dude in a blanket? Look it up. Look up Horta. You'll see it in motion. It's just like a dude in a blanket. It- <laughs> okay, I'm, I will do that. Um, how come that old lady is an ensign? Do you know what I'm talking about? She's down in the... in the Oh, in um, engineering? Engineering, and they're like so-and-so ensign and i'm like that old lady the lady who's as old as john luke is an ensign did she join starfleet really late or was she is she just really bad at her job (laughs) well she had spent some time in the original series as a metron so it took a while for her to actually get into starfleet i don't know what that means (laughs) that actress was in the uh gorn episode of the original series the one where where uh, Kirk fights the reptile guy in the desert. Okay, yes, yes. <laughs> she played one of the the you know godlike aliens that had put them there to battle. Oh, so she was there as like a cameo or 
Such. Yeah, they brought back they brought back an actor from the original series to be like, hey, oh, here that's you go. cool. I mm-hmm. just thought she was pretty old to be an ensign. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to get into my many questions about how Starfleet Academy works until we talk about the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's reasonable. I didn't even notice her uh, her rank pips, so I just noticed. Oh, it's a new engineer this time. Yeah, I didn't pay attention to the pips either. I just paid attention to the fact that Riker called her ensign. So they get the universal translator up, um, you know, the babblefish, and they're, uh, the first thing that the aliens say is ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and I immediately knew they were describing the humans because it reminded of me of the when Quark <laughs> said, oh, they're so ugly, look at their ears or something like that. <laughs> I was like, oh, they're insulting, they're insulting the the humans and they look so confused john luke's like what and then it's like ugly giant bag and i was like oh no (laughs) (laughs) of mostly water surrounded by a flexible frame and i was like yep that's human beings i love data's yep (laughs) that's an accurate description i mostly forgot this episode but i have always known ugly bags of mostly water that's just that's so funny it's a description for humans it's great so when the wisties shake the whole enterprise and they do their whoa thing like they're all falling over oh yeah the uh the the bridge roll right and then so this is this is strictly for manda i noticed when they were doing that Riker put his hand around Deanna's waist and held her up to make sure she didn't fall. Ooh, good catch. (laughs) And I was like, oh, Amanda would be very excited to see that. (laughs) (laughs) I was not looking for that. Oh, yeah, I wasn't really looking for it either. I just love watching them act that out. Like the whole Mm -hmm. like, oh, we're being thrown around the bridge. It's so funny to watch. I I remember seeing like uh, Will Wheaton uh, interviewing uh, Jerry Ryan on a podcast. And there were some other like non-Trek actors. Jerry Ryan Sliders? No, she's Seven of Nine from Voyager. Seven of Nine. Okay, who's, who's who's the... Jerry guy in Sliders. Jerry O'Connell or something like that, right? Oh, was he in Sliders? Because he's also in uh, Lower Decks. Oh, is he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's in Sliders. Anyway, go ahead. We're talking about Seven of Nine, though. <laughs> yeah, um... <laughs> He he was talking with Jerry Ryan and some other people. I don't even I don't even remember if it was Will Wheaton's podcast or, or some other show, but uh he brought up the um, you know, how every Star Trek actor knows, you know, how how to do the, you know, the bridge shake thing and he's, so, so it's like he's like Jerry he's like, "Okay, three, two, one, hit." And then they both like grab the table and shake around and act like this. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, um so he yeah, he was in Sliders and I forgot he's also in uh Stand by Me. Jerry O'Connor. Yeah. So uh-huh. connection to Will Wheaton. Yeah. And uh he is also married to uh Rebecca Romaine, who oh. happens to be in Star Trek as well. She plays number one from the um from the Enterprise. She is Pike's first officer. I didn't know that. Interesting. Now, she's not the first one to play number one. That was Major Barrett in the original pilot. But right. uh, yeah. So and so she's going to be uh, one of the main characters in uh, Strange New Worlds, which comes out next year. And I'm excited. That reminds me of a question I had. So Data is third in command of the Enterprise, Deanna yes. says. Uh-huh. And Riker's second in command of the Enterprise, but we call him number one, right? <laughs> even though he's second in command. Because he's the first so officer. Do we call Data number two or do we call him number three? How come Riker's the only one that gets a cool nickname? Well, because it's, you know, for one thing, it was a reference to number one from the original series. But also, you really don't want to go around calling somebody number two. Number two. (laughs) Get over here, number two. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was really surprised that at no point during this discussion with the silicon-based life forms that it was brought up that he was an android. Like, there was there was no interaction between the computer man and the computer people. And I thought that was weird, because I thought maybe, especially when they were calling them ugly bags of mostly water, that they would be like, ah, here's one that isn't an ugly bag of mostly water. But That's they kind of just chose not to talk about data being a computer essentially Uh um the whole episode so i thought that was weird because the whole episode i thought data being a computer especially how excited that bjorn was at the beginning that he was an android was gonna come into play but it was like chekhov's gun and it never went off (laughs) it was like okay where where is it gonna come into play that data is not an ugly bag of mostly water Hmm, yeah feels like something they should have uh, done a little bit more with i felt like this could also especially for what did we the gardener of edens what was her name uh louisa kim okay so i liked her character a lot but i felt so bad for her when she realized she almost killed an entire civilization of living creatures and it very much felt like an ender like plot point <laughs> oh where, where he realizes it's not a simulation he's actually been waging and war he's this destroyed whole time an entire civilization because that's the whole point of ender's game and the books that follow because ender's game is the game right which we hate or- orson scott card now so sure. and i hate him and i don't like him as a person but i read these books before we knew he was garbage he's a good writer and- he is, and he wrote, and I read both sets, the Ender's Game and the Ender's Shadow series, and I really liked the books after Ender's Game because it's basically Speaker for the Dead, and um, the reason he's a Speaker for the Dead is because he destroyed this entire civilization while he was being used as a pawn in the military-industrial complex, essentially, right? Yeah. And um, I really felt for her in that moment and felt it was very similar origin story that if she had killed those that entire culture like of these aliens that she would have had to live with that guilt for the rest of her life just like ender did and so Mm -hmm. i thought that was really it was like kind of only going on in the background but i thought it was such a poignant part of the episode that was barely touched on yeah and i really liked her performance uh she could have been a nothing character but i I feel like she really gave it an earnestness that made her a little a little more memorable she did and i thought she did a really good job um I so the term wet sand is something that's really funny to me because when my kid was like three years old, we went to the beach and he kept filling his bucket up with wet sand and he kept <laughs> saying it that same way. He'd bring me a bucket and he'd be like, Wet sand, mommy. And so me and and my ex husband have been saying to each other for years, wet sand every time <laughs> we talk about wet sand. So when they're like, We will send you home to your wet sand, I was like, We'll send you home to your wet sand. <laughs> <laughs> And I just thought it was a cute little thing for me at the end of the episode. But overall, I loved this one. I loved the theoretical, like, what's going on here? Is this life? Like, to me, it really felt like a Star Trek episode. Like, I was watching something that was philosophically talking about life in other parts of the universe and discussing what would happen if we found that life and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I really liked it. Yeah, I love episodes like this. Uh, I-, I love episodes where they discover a new life form and... and- most of the episode is just them working out how to communicate with it uh because it feels like if you actually were to discover alien life out there like that would be the struggle every episode you wouldn't just have the universal translator obviously automatically work so it's it's nice yeah it's nice to see that struggle sometimes 
It is. It is nice to see that struggle. Um, speaking of that, did you hear, and I don't, I have not researched the validity of this yet, but I saw a tweet the other day that said that NASA just hired 36 theologians to gauge how people would feel if they announced there was aliens. Hmm. I have not researched if it's accurate or true, but somebody who generally researches what they post posted it on something that I saw. And I've been meaning to look into it. And then somebody in the comments on their post said that already happened in contact as a plot point. Yeah, I was just going to say that was a a major point in contact that they didn't want to send her because she was an atheist. Right. Yeah, I know. And so I was I was just thought that was interesting because, man, wouldn't it be great if first contact is coming? I'm so (laughs) I've been waiting. I have been waiting for aliens my whole life. I have wanted to. I love space. When I look at space and think about space, I get like cartoon hearts in my eyes because (laughs) my whole life I have always just wanted to get on a dang space shuttle and leave this planet. And I know that quietly last year in the middle of the pandemic, while the news cycle was insane, they released a bunch of stuff declassifying a bunch of unidentified flying objects. And now they're they're hiring theologians. And I am just so ready to meet aliens. <laughs> Maybe not silicon-based <laughs> wisties, but you know, I'm excited to meet aliens. I think you're probably a little more hopeful than I am on that aspect. I don't, I don't think that's happening. Uh, I know. I can hope, though, right? Like, I've sure. lived in perpetual hope my whole life that eventually, before the time I die, I will be able to go to space. I really just want to go back to space. Or I want to go back to space. See, the secret space baby that lives inside <laughs> of me wants to go back to space. <laughs> okay, so my last comment about this before we switch to the other episode mm-hmm. is they told them to come back in three centuries. Right. So I really hope in 2188, someone makes a new episode. <laughs> in 2188, I hope someone does a 300 years later episode of like a like a reunion special. Because where are we going to be in 300 years from now on TV? Because apparently we can't write anything new to save our lives. And we're in a horrible cycle of rebooting things right now <laughs> without a lot of new content. <laughs> and I want to know... I want, I want to see someone in 300 years from now, like, revisit this episode and go back and see what the Wisties have done with themselves and if they'll interface with us now. I just think that'd be so cool. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Um, well, actually, I was thinking about that a bit myself because um, Star Trek Discovery is set in, like, the 31st century. Is it? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was originally set during the same time uh, period as uh, as Kirk's Enterprise, but then they jumped in, uh, through a time portal or something, so now they're a thousand years in the future. Oh, okay. Yes, I did hear about the time portal. They could, in theory, go back to that planet and see what has happened in, in the interim. That might be an interesting uh, story for them to talk about. They could, on. yeah, because it's been 300 years, right? Because it would it's be more than 2188 years. is what I wrote down would be, yeah, because well, I, I think your math at the time. I think is it math, off? Yeah, it should be twenty two eighty eight, right? Because that would be three hundred years. Well, nineteen eighty eight yeah. to mm-hmm. twenty eighty eight. Oh, yes, you're right. You're right. Yep. Me and math. Remember homeschool? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And next, we're going to talk about coming of age, which is the nineteenth episode of the first season. It first aired on the fourteenth of March, nineteen eighty eight. It was written by Sandy Fries and Hannah Louise Shearer, and it was directed by Mike Viger. As Wesley Crusher faces the Starfleet Academy entrance exam on Relva Seven. Representatives from Starfleet Command conduct an exhaustive investigation into Captain Picard and the Enterprise D crew. Wesley got a haircut. 
<laughs> oh, I didn't even notice the haircut. Yeah, I went back to the last episode just to make sure I was correct. And, and he kind of had like that boyfriend haircut where that's what somebody I know calls it, where it has that <laughs> like poof up front where it's like sticking straight up. Anyway, he got a haircut. It's cute. <laughs> I thought it was cute. <laughs> okay, so before we go anywhere on this episode, mm-hmm. we got to talk about how getting into Starfleet works. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so once a year, they can take a test and they go to Starfleet? So um, I assume there are probably multiple ways to get in, because obviously you need to be able to fill enough slots in the academy to staff all those ships, ships. but I think it was just like in Wesley's division, like for, for, for this specific group of candidates, it was like only one of you is getting in. It's so weird. Plus, did he t- if, so let's say that Wesley had won. Obviously, he wasn't going to get into Starfleet in the first season. Right. But let's say that Wesley had won the spot. Let's say that he got there. Was he stealing a spot from an indigenous person from that planet because it happened to be the planet they were swinging by while they were on the em- Enterprise? I don't know that anyone actually indigenously lives on Relva 7. I think okay. that was just <laughs> a, uh, a Starfleet outpost. Um, so they said to these four candidates, meet us at this it's right. not like Wesley just randomly showed up and crashed the people who live in this planet's test. Because that's what it felt like. No, because there was, um, uh, I mean, there were two human candidates and there was a Vulcan candidate and a Benzite. So uh, none of them are native to this planet. They're just, this is where they're meeting to conduct the test. Well, and in, in case anybody wants to know, including you, um, what my hair looked like for most of the 1990s, it was that exact hair that that girl had. <laughs> the one that calls Wesley cute. I got a perm in like 91 because my mom had one and that was my hair for most of the 90s. That exact color, that exact cut and length. And I was like, this is so weird and I hate it. Please get it off my TV. <laughs> But was she human? Was she supposed to be human? Yeah, she was human. Okay, so there was the human, the Vulcan. Oh, I got very excited about the Vulcan because that's the first time in TNG we saw one, right? Uh, To my uh, recollection, yeah. Yeah, I think so. So there was a Vulcan and a human and the Benzite and then Wesley was another human. Okay, it's it was an interesting, I mean, it follows that trope of a lot of shows, although it's earlier than most of the shows I'm thinking of, of having a test episode, like right. where you have to go through a weird test. So it reminded me of that Buffy episode when she turns 18, where she has to, they take away her powers and she has to fight a serial killer vampire. So as far as the testing goes, I was kind of disappointed to see that the Kobayashi Maru did not show up. I just for some reason expected it to be mentioned at some point. That is a test once you're in the Academy. That that would not uh, be a test that you would give to get into the Academy because uh, you, there's no way to beat the Kobayashi Maru. It's a test of your uh, 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 personal character and of how you react to situations. There's, Yeah, it, 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 that, that test is mostly for the benefit of the testee. I see, okay. Um, I just thought it was interesting because I because they talked about like the Mordock maneuver or whatnot, and I was like, oh, that'd be interesting because they're being tested if they made like a, a like a reference to Kobayashi Maru, but it didn't mm-hmm. happen. Um, so let's talk about that little middle management businessman <laughs> that was wandering around <laughs> the Enterprise, Remick? being mean to everybody. Oh, yeah, that guy. I hated him so much. I wanted to punch him in the face every time he was on screen. Oh, no, there's some. 
I have this note that says, keep doing whatever it is you're doing, Commander Data. And my notes say, shouldn't you know what he's doing? Because he's flying the dang ship. Like, he's sitting <laughs> in the con, right? Like, he right. is flying the ship. Whatever it is you're doing here. Like, it made him sound so stupid. <laughs> I liked the um, the editing uh, when, when it just showed him going, uh, like, interrogating uh, officer after officer where, like, the way it would seamlessly transition between the different people he was talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, where, like, he'd be holding the same position and asking a question that sounds like it's a follow-up to the previous statement from the other person, but then the camera pans. And, and then you'd see Worf's rea- reflection in the computer, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that made me think of, there was an episode of Firefly that did a very similar thing when uh, the Alliance has, like, uh, captured uh, Serenity and they're interrogating the entire crew. And it was cut together like that. Mm, I wonder if it was a nod. I think it it might just be uh, one of those tropes. I don't think it was a direct nod to Star Trek. I think it's just one of those kind of a... It's it's a cool uh, interrogation technique. Yeah, and I thought it was cool. He was a terrible interrogator, though. He was just (laughs) awful. He was just really bad. (laughs) Well, his problem was that he was sent to investigate something and there was nothing for him to find. So he was, you know, kind of set up to fail in that regard. Yeah, well, you know, I jokingly out loud said when he was like, okay, I'm leaving now. I was like, he's going to ask to join the Enterprise. I said something out loud like, Uh oh, and now I want to join the Enterprise. And I meant it as like a sarcastic joke. And then it came out of his mouth. (laughs) I was like, oh, (laughs) I was kidding. But okay. (laughs) When he fist pumps. When he fist pumps, when um, Jean-Luc helps him, like, skip the the, tra- the little, what is that thing he was in called? Shuttle. When he try- when he skips the little shuttle off of the ozone layer or whatever they did that was so uh-huh. clever, he fist pumped in the air. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, this guy's having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> because of the sense of teamwork and a feeling of family. Yeah, it's something that I think you probably don't get in the Inspector General's office where your whole job is to be an asshole to other Starfleet officers. Right. I liked I liked the insults. They were a very scruffy looking nerf herder <laughs> by that guy. Um the one with the webbed hand. Um that oh, was an yeah. interesting test. I thought that was an interesting test. Yeah, um that uh, made me think of uh Tellarites, the uh the the pig-nosed dudes from the original series because they like to uh argue and they like to be uh rude and insulting and so it's a very very similar uh cultural uh technique uh, or, or affectation um in star trek enterprise when uh captain archer scott Bakula's character uh meets a tellarite uh who's boarded the enterprise uh, the Tellarite says, I've heard that this ship is the uh, pride of Starfleet, but I find it small and unimpressive. And then Archer goes, funny, <laughs> I was going to say the same thing about you. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I could never insult people to their face. I'd be terrible at Starfleet. I would not get in, apparently. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those cultural things that you have to learn how to insult the right people. <laughs> I did think it was very cute, the the way that Wesley got all mad and in his face, though. I thought it was adorable. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, oh, he's never been mean to anyone in his life before. I know. He's like, do you um, want to get violent? I'm like, kid, you don't know how to be violent. I know. Do you want to get violent? The little kid says. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Uh, I loved the question to Beverly. How would you characterize your relationship with Captain Picard? Mm-hmm. And I was like, 
And I wanted her to answer, like, jokingly or whatever. I guess I'm in a mood because this episode just was funny to me. But I really wanted her to be like, well, he's my boyfriend, but only in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> and then have it cut away and have that be it, you know? <laughs> he's my boyfriend. Like, Mothman is Ari's boyfriend. <laughs> you know? like, I don't know. <laughs> Listen, you gotta, you gotta let it go. Mothman's never coming for you. No, but I just you're, you're in the so wrong much. state for him. I know. I'm gonna go to West Virginia someday. <laughs> I'm gonna, <laughs> and I'm gonna wander around the woods, and I'm gonna call out for my boyfriend, and he's not gonna come. <laughs> <laughs> so something about the future that I'm disappointed in, and we still have time to get there, is mm-hmm. um, we did not end up putting our computers in very complicated pieces of furniture that were very well shellacked. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm a little disappointed in us. We still just put our computers on top of our desks and we don't build them into our elaborate furniture. <laughs> Listen, speaking as somebody who worked retail IT for like half a decade, uh, <laughs> I've dealt with uh, systems where it was designed like that so it would look nice from like a customer facing perspective and i hate them they suck so hard to work on no screw that (laughs) let them sit on a desk well we've got time (laughs) (laughs) how come they're allowed to talk so much during the test i thought that was weird but because in the end the guy knew they were talking wesley he knew wesley gave the kid the answer or he helped him with the answer um i don't know that's interesting um i don't know yeah why would you let them talk during a test i thought it was weird and I thought it was unfair because he could have helped the other person, too, but he didn't. He helped the guy that he liked or thought was smart or something. I don't know. Also, I felt so proud of myself because early on when they're all being asked the question about, like, oh, uh, what would the intermix ratio be uh, for a warp drive if you have to get 100 light years on warp 8 and all this stuff? And I'm just like, wait, it doesn't matter what the conditions are. It's it's the intermix chamber. You're mixing antimatter and matter. You want that ratio to be one to one. And me and, and my hair twin were over here like, what the hell does that mean? Because <laughs> <laughs> we both wouldn't have gotten it. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, hey, I know the answer to that one. And then they all just wrote one to one on the screen. I'm like, yep, that's correct. That because uh, if you uh, if your inter- if your uh, mix ratio isn't exactly one to one, you're going to just create. Um, Whatever doesn't get annihilated in in the uh, in the mix is going to be propelled violently and destroy the chamber and then the ship. <laughs> yeah, um, and see, I didn't think about. I just was like, ah, more science babble, and I was. <laughs> <laughs> And then they all knew it, and the girl didn't. I was like, "Hmm." There's a lot of techno babble in Star Trek that means nothing, but this is real. <laughs> well, yeah, and I guess I'm slowly learning French, and I'm slowly <laughs> learning science from the next generation. Um, I loved the um, the offer to become commandant. Is that what it was? Commandant of the Starfleet yeah. Academy. Mm-hmm. And I know that this is the future and I guess we don't care about money, but what are the money and benefits? Like <laughs> this sounds like a big promotion. Like Picard, I, I, he didn't even like think about it. Like, I don't think he really truly thought about leaving the enterprise. Uh, yeah. It's not about the, the benefits or the money. I think it's about the job that you want to do. And, you know, working up to that. And, yeah, it seemed like Picard wasn't interested in doing that job, even though I'm sure he would have been very good at it. He he wants to be on the bridge of a starship. And who would blame him? He loves it there. 
Yeah, and in this episode especially, they they ran it home. Like, they, they made sure that we understood the things he does influences. Because the whole thing was, if you went to Starfleet, you could shape the minds. I think that's what Riker said. You could yeah. shape the minds of all the people coming through Starfleet. But they showed us how John Luke gets to influence and, like, come up around the... Um, and help the kids on the star on the starship, and it was a. It's really good that we've had that character progression of Picard's all through this season, where he's you know. Remember, I used to say I'm Jean Luc Picard and I'm a dick to kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> and now this episode, he helped that kid get that stole the shuttle. That kid looked like a grown man though. Um, uh, he was that, supposed to be like eighteen or something. <laughs> the kid stole the shuttle. He helped him. He helped Wesley. I think Wesley really grew from that. Oh, I have a dad moment with Picard. <laughs> uh-huh. And so all of that character development of Picard's that you know was kind of just throwaway character development. It felt like actually meant something in this episode mm-hmm. and i liked that i thought it was good yeah i'm I, I really enjoyed this episode and i also really enjoyed that we got like a proper wesley episode where he wasn't being annoying because I, I i find him a little annoying sometimes but this was a good episode for him it was and uh it was a good showcase of his abilities i also liked did he catch the 1984 reference no when he goes into the room where for the psych test uh, the room is labeled 101. Oh, no, I didn't catch that. I was too busy wondering if David Lynch had directed the psych test, because what is this <laughs> menacing chair in an empty room? Well, the, I mean, the room <laughs> itself looks straight out of, like, 1984. Like, yes, this it's would true, be... Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was so stupid that he didn't realize it was the test. Like, as soon as there was noises happening in the other room, I was like, okay, dummy, this is the test. <laughs> yeah. I, I did like the test. Um, it was... Uh, and I liked how they explained... Uh, why it was his fear. Right. Um, it was good. Uh, because it, it he, was Wesley Crusher and the Boggart, but the Boggart in this case was him. Uh-huh. <laughs> and well, his inability to potentially make the decision that would save or kill somebody in mm-hmm. an emergency situation. It was a good episode for character development all the way around. Mm-hmm. We don't see Mordok again, but we do see that actor come back as another Benzite uh, because they wanted to have a Benzite character and they were like, well, we've already got the mold for this actor, so we'll just put him in it. And they even in that episode have Wesley go, Mordok! And he's like, oh no, I'm not Mordok, I'm just from his pod. So they're like twins or something. (laughs) I liked his breathing apparatus that I assumed was giving him like the chemicals he needed to breathe because it was like right below his mouth and nose area and so i assumed that that's what it was i thought it was an interesting character design without like driving it home yeah know? he he doesn't breathe uh the same air we do so I, I i assume because it's not enclosed that he that our air isn't toxic to him but he just needs something additional that that provides so have we reached maximum dad luke picard or are we is he gonna get even more dad like as we go on oh he'll, there's um <laughs> no i'm i'm thinking of a particular episode uh, a couple seasons down the line where he uh is definitely maximal dad luke picard energy so we're, we're still gonna we're still, we're still going on that. great because i yeah. love dad luke picard <laughs> it's my favorite um so i don't know i loved both these episodes maybe i was just excited to see something i hadn't seen before but both of them really worked for me like i really mm-hmm. liked both of them oh you said and i'm this is about the first episode but i'm gonna ask you anyway because we're here at the end you said sure. you knew i'd like that episode what did you why did you think that just because of the way that the episode was laid out or actually i was talking about this one 
This uh, one. Okay, yeah, I like both of them. So, <laughs> I, but I was specifically talking this one because it was a Wesley centric episode. So I, I know you like it. I love Wesley. I, I I just and then I you know I was thinking there was a point where oh remember how I asked you who you would um cast as Beverly if we were uh-huh. recasting yeah. I had this thought while I was watching about how there's not a lot of older uh, white cis guys that I trust right okay but I I trust Jean Luc Picard with my life like I would let this man tell me what to do and I did, wouldn't let most men tell me what to do so <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was thinking about that and I was thinking like who could we cast as Jean-Luc Picard in a re- in a in a reboot and my thought was well there's always Ian McKellen <laughs> and then I had this whole thought about how it would be really funny to do a reboot of the next generation but have all Lord of the Rings actors take on the character roles well and also you're replacing Professor X with Magneto there I am aren't I <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so I just was like, I was like trying to, I would be like, well, Mary and Pippin would be Jordy and, and Data. And I just started going through all these different people. But I was thinking, I don't think that Ian McKellen would actually make a very good John Luke because he's very serious. Yeah, no. You, well, and also he's way too old. Um, now at this point, yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure he's <laughs> retired now, Like, right? Like, Does he the, not act anymore? <laughs> um, I, The last thing that I think that he did was the Hobbit movies. Um, and I think he's getting getting way up there in years, so I don't know how much more acting he does. Mm. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't cast him. Um, and are they friends because of X-Men? Is that where they became friends? Or did they know each other before that? Do you know? Uh, they've known each other since the 80s. Actually, Ian McKellen told Patrick not to take the job on TNG because he said, if you do Star Trek, you're going to be stuck with that for the rest of your life and it's going to kill your career. And he has been, but it didn't kill his career. It didn't kill his career. And uh, he's done uh, plenty since Star Trek that wasn't Star Trek. I mean, he's he's Professor X. Like a lot of a lot of people like uh, the generation after me for them that is who he is. They don't think of him as Picard. They think of him as Charles Xavier. Just like when people were like, something, something about Samwise Gamgee and going to Mordor and all this stuff. And I was like, and then they, but they were calling him Bob Newbie from Stranger Things. <laughs> and I was oh my like, God. no, no, he's not. No, <laughs> like, that man is Samwise Gamgee. <laughs> like, he's that, that man kid is from the Goonies. Bob Newby. Yeah. And the Goonies is even older. Yeah. The Goonies, home of Thanos and... um, I actually drove by the house from Goonies a couple years ago. Oh, I had a friend that lived in Astoria and they made me do the whole, and this is where this happened, and I had not actually seen Goonies at that time. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, we've gotten off on another tangent. It's Um, fine. But I think think we've wrapped up. We liked these episodes. I liked both of them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very excited to see where it keeps going. We're coming to the end of the season. And, oh, the one thing we didn't talk about is how um, Mr. Annoying Middle Management Guy brought up all of our, you know, the greatest hits from the last season. (laughs) It was almost like a clip episode (laughs) without the clips. (laughs) Yeah, that would be nice if uh, every time uh, we have a potential clip episode, they don't make it an actual clip episode. Wouldn't it be great? I don't miss clip episodes. Oh, thank God. There's Back in the days when you had to fill 24, 25 episodes a season, I understand, like, from a production standpoint. There's even one in the sixth or seventh season of The Office, like, and that was, like, 2011 or something. Like, they were still doing it then. Yeah. 
But now that every show is just like 12, 13 episodes, it's fine. You don't need them. It's just like, yeah, yeah here you go. Yeah, and I'm so glad we did because I've never sat through a clip episode. If it's a clip episode, even if it's a show I like, I'll just come back the next week. <laughs> I'm not sitting through clips of something I've already seen before. I think the only uh, framing device for a clip episode that I ever actually liked was on Alias when... um. Sydney is being debriefed by a uh, a CIA um, investigations panel, mm-hmm. and so she's basically just you know explaining all of her you know uh, double agency stuff and everything that she's and obviously it's a clip show so it recaps the whole series but it was done in a way that like it still progressed the plot because she was under investigation it is nice when they can because as they went along they found plot devices to make those clip shows work like in the in the office they're being bought out by saber and they're coming to see like what the value of the company is and that's how they end up doing the clip episode so it is nice that eventually we learn to frame it correctly rather than just having (laughs) clip episodes for no reason because i remember the 80s you'd turn on an episode and sometimes it would just be each commercial break was 10 minute sections of the show Uh without any sort of explanation so i'm really happy we got away from those i do hear there's one coming though in the next generation the uh the season two finale we'll be getting to that one um do i have to actually watch it i can fast forward through it (laughs) no i'm gonna make you watch it oh no (laughs) well and with that thanks for joining us today i'm ari i'm gayfesh and until next time live long and prosper thank you for listening you can find more episodes on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter at Rest Both Worlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Rest of Both Worlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.